is 1987, and NASA launches the last of America's deep space probes. In a freak mishap, Ranger 3 and its pilot, Captain William Buck Rogers, are blown out of their trajectory into an orbit which freezes his life support systems and returns Buck Rogers to Earth 500 years later. to Next Planet Over, our podcast devoted to fantasy, sci-fi, and horror TV shows of our past. Hey, you never know, we might do one that's more current, but we kind of focus on stuff from our childhood and our teenage years. I'm your host, Michael, and on the other side is Ron. Bitty, bitty, bit. Hey, I'm Mike. I don't know, there's, let's talk about this real quick. Uh, we're going to be discussing Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Um, I think Twiggy is probably the most memorable part of the show. Which confounds me that season two starts off with firing Mel Blanc. Someone cheaper to do his voice is not even close. Yeah, probably sounds more like me. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you do sound different. You don't have something going on because you sound like, you know when we used to take the tapes and record ourselves talking at night and then we would play it back faster? You sound like right. a slightly sped up version of yourself. Oh, really? Yeah, you sound... Oh, I could also, use a little pick-me-up. You sound a little cartoonish like you're doing a character, not yourself. Hello. <laughs> okay. Today, um, we have Marvin the... No. Originally, we were going to do um, Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers together because, I mean, honestly, those two series go perfectly together for many, many reasons. But the, the Battlestar Galactica went on too long. And, uh, well, it's been a few months, hasn't it? <laughs> Just a few. And then, well, we went off and did a little bit, uh, some cartoon episodes of our podcast back in Tunes. And uh, so we're back. And then this, I'm really going to focus. I set aside in my schedule of all the stupid podcasts I do, so many. Uh, one for each day, everybody, in every color and say, uh, shape and size. Um, I set aside time uh, starting in August to refocus on this podcast and start getting like at least once a month instead of once every three months. Um, right. So... Um, we were discussing Battlestar Galactica. You know, it is this massive budget, million dollars an episode. They, they're groundbreaking special effects that were developed for Star Wars. And, you know, they used a lot of those techniques and basically changed the look of sci-fi. Because if you look at TV shows and movies before Star Wars, it's a whole different world. I mean, Logan's Run is just the previous year, but it looks light year, like a decade apart. You know, it's funny you mention that. I just watched that like four days ago. Oh, nice. Have you seen I... the TV show? Have you ever seen the, the Logan's Run TV show? I did not know that existed. Beyond. Yeah, it was, I believe, 13 episodes. Gregory Harrison takes open, over for Logan. It's really thought-provoking. I have the entire series. It's uh, it's a lot better than people treated it as. Um, but I was thinking of that, and I was thinking of the sci-fi shows right before that, and just light years difference in, in, in the quality and innovation. And you see all of that hard work go into Battlestar Galactica. It was very expensive. It was a million dollars an episode. And they just couldn't sustain the audience for that kind of money. No. The same thing that would curse V a few years later. 
but Glenn Larson is a guy who's just the king of innovation. He took bits and pieces from Battlestar Galactica, like the visors he reused for uh, Kit in Knight Rider, and uh, literally sold the special effects sequences off to some company called AIP uh, in 1987 for Space Mutiny with Reb Brown. So you have a movie that looks like it costs four hundred thousand dollars, and then it has like these amazing uh, action sequences out in space, and it's just like, look, we'll sell them all to you for a hundred thousand dollars, and it just beefed up your budget. Beef it, beef it. <laughs> and the other thing that he did that was really innovative, and really like soon after was developing Buck Rogers by taking a lot of the set pieces and and ships and stuff like that and repurposing them, you know, with new paint jobs, slightly altered looks. And, you know, instead of being a million dollars an episode, brought it down to like $750,000 an episode, which still was not cheap in that time. Not chunk change, no. Yeah. The, uh, what I didn't... I thought it felt kind of similar. Yeah. What, what I didn't know for the longest time is that Universal had the genius idea of putting the very first episode in theaters as a movie. And it made a lot of money. And I was, a What? That's a great idea, actually. Yeah, I think like a, probably like a $3 million movie, and it made 20 And I'm kind of surprised when it made that much money, they didn't pull back and go, hold on, sequel time. Right. I don't know. Yeah, true. I guess you'd make more money in the theaters than you would in, but... Yeah, especially with international sales. I was, I was thinking, this is like a time period when people were really fascinated. Everybody thinks that Superman was based on the whole comic book popularity but people forget that superman was also a comic strip for a long time and mm -hmm. i think that kind of aesthetic is what broke through during the late 70s and throughout the 80s is that people were doing comic strip adaptations and not comic books that didn't happen until batman came out and even that was still struggle because i think you had the shadow and the, the phantom and stuff like that dick tracy it, right. you know, that that's more well, of a dick last tracy. yeah it's more like the last 20 years where it's about comic books but you look you had you had Popeye, you had um, Annie, um, just a bunch of like lower budget ones like Brenda Starr, and I've always been surprised there wasn't a Beta Bailey movie. See, I was going to say, did, didn't we get a Beta Bailey through like uh, Stripes? Pile? <laughs> Stripe, <laughs> Stripes basically is Beta Bailey, I would say. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But uh, Buck Rogers, I don't ever remember reading this in uh, newspapers. I think it might have been done by them, but I do remember reading Flash Gordon, and Prince Valiant, and the Phantom and stuff like that. I, well, let's see. Now you lost me there because unfortunately the only comics I ever read were like Savage Dragon and one or two that my mom might let me buy. You yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, you mostly. I was, you know, sheltered childhood. <laughs> well, yeah, and then when we became friends was when we were in high school and. At that point, I wasn't reading comic books very heavily. It was not till college is when you and I started really like uh, getting back into it. I was, of course, hardcore on Savage Dragon. You would read that, and and then uh, our friend Devon like X Men like crazy. Just he had so many X Men comics, and I, we just ate those up. But the storylines in a lot of those comic books are so convoluted. And there's like 20 years of history you had to know beforehand. The beauty yeah. of comic strips is they assumed that you, no matter what, every day there was a new reader. So they couldn't just dive you into some deep, complex story. The best you could do is, like, go back a week. You know, it was like, oh, this started on Monday. We ended on Saturday or Sunday. And I think that's why the comic strips held so much nostalgia and love 
by previous generations where it's almost a dead thing now. I don't know anybody who reads comic strips. They didn't have to make you think so much. Yeah. Well, well, I don't. Well, the problem with not reading comic strips is that nobody reads a newspaper anymore. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, <laughs> like, not there. well, a lot of the great ones are gone, too. Calvin Hobbes is probably the greatest of all time. It's been gone for 20 years. Uh, Charles Schultz. Years? Yeah, he retired, I think, in 90, long. I want to say 97 or 98. And Charles Schultz. So I remember. Yeah. He, I remember him retiring, but I just didn't remember. Oh, my gosh, it's been 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I really like the Boondocks, which is last like the last really good one, which was innovative and, and boundary pushing. A lot of it seems to be, hey, we own this property. The guy's been dead for 40 years. Let's just keep, you know, just, just hire some new guy to do it who doesn't really get the appeal. Like it, Garfield has not been – he's not dead. Jim Davis isn't dead, but Garfield hasn't been funny in decades. No. He lost his appeal many years ago. Yeah. But – this is, and like Garfield, it was kind of like during the disco era when people were kind of full of themselves and it was really glammy and poppy and fun because we were coming out of the depression of post-Vietnam and, uh, you know, the recession during the 70s and post-Nixon and stuff like that where the nation was kind of bummed out. And I, people hate disco. They really hate disco. And I listen to it now and go, eh, what? It's, it's just its own thing. You know, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay with disco. I'm okay with funk. But I get why in the late 70s, early 80s that they started pushing forward with like, you know, metal and new wave and punk and stuff like that. Yeah, they did something edgier. And that's what that was. That was the uh, grunge of that era. Yeah. Not, I, not disco. But, yeah. Well, every 10 years you need some sort of uh, palate cleansing thing, no matter what the genre or medium is. Because, like in music, we had uh, the necessi necessities of grunge. We had the necessities of the Brit Rock Garage Rock Revival because we're all listening listening to like Limp Biscuit and Corn, and then realize one day, like, what was I thinking? Oh my god! <laughs> the, uh, Thankfully, some of those guys have went on to bigger and better solo careers, and it's better stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish hip hop would get past Bling Bling and Boobs because I would love it if it got back down to like the the more hip hop, you know, the storytelling and the, and the more soulful stuff. Um, yeah. But it happens with movies too, because um, in the 70s, everyone's like, oh, it's the greatest era for TV shows and movies ever. They were always pushing the boundaries, you know? And I would say with movies, golly, I got to tell you, before Star Wars, there's not a lot of movies from the 70s that don't make me feel completely and absolutely depressed. <laughs> Star Wars. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the music they put in the background. Maybe, oh. but it just always seems like it's about two homeless bums who are suffering from heroin, you know. And it's like, oh god. <laughs> um, but you know, Star Wars and Jaws were like that palate cleanser that changed everything in movies and in television. I um I actually appreciate what they were doing, like the stuff that Norman Lear was doing with uh, All in the Family and the Jeffersons and. Maud and so like that and then we had the happy days and Morky Mindy Laverne and Shirley there's a lot of really good stuff going on, on television now that palate cleanser maybe the worst thing that ever happened to television because then it became Charlie's Angels and Chips and the Love Boat where every episode is frivolous throw away nothing didn't matter yeah <laughs> I love all those shows. I know, but they don't yeah. they don't have any like you can watch five and then you're good for the rest of the year. You know, you don't need to yeah. continue. I think True. I think the brilliant part about Battlestar Galactica was that they were trying something serious. Whereas Buck Rogers, maybe Glenn Larson got nervous about the seriousness, you know, like, oh, we're all gonna die if we don't do this, you know, the, the apocalypse. 
I feel like Glenn Larson was like, look, people kind of like the seriousness, but let's let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's make it a little more, you know, disco, a little more glam, uh, a little more poppy, mm-hmm. um, space fantasy kind of thing. And it works, and it also hurts it sometimes because every time you think it's going to go in the direction that we're conditioned to now, where it's like dead serious, you know, th- these are serious ramifications that ma- they're going to matter the whole season, and then it kind of pulls the rug out from under you. That's kind of my problem with Buck Rogers. So I've only well, we watched a couple of episodes, and I have to be honest, the last time I saw the show, I was very young. Yeah. <laughs> so as, as far as how uh, everything goes, uh, how that, what you're saying there, I mean, I, I don't see that because um, I've only seen two episodes. Yeah, I, I, I watched almost the entire thing again. Um, season one, you, know, you haven't seen it yet because the episodes I sent you. Uh, were more serious, but as you start going through season two, it starts turning to like Vegas and space, you know, <laughs> disco hookers, and you know, no, stop it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the movie intro we were talking about uh, earlier off air. Yeah. It was a five minute intro, and so I didn't realize that that's that's the movie, isn't it? Yeah, right, because they were trying to do a James Bond in space kind of thing. Right, and that just blew. I did not know until you told me now that that was that that was released in theaters beforehand. I'm like, what is with this intro? <laughs> Still going. <laughs> It is usually like 30 seconds. This is five minutes long. <laughs> I can almost hear Carly Simon, spy who loved me. It's like that kind of <laughs> rhythm is going throughout it. And it's like the slow-mo where he's like on the ground, the girl's legs are flowing. and Yeah, so they tried you to know? sell it as James Bond in space. And I will take this over Moonraker any day. Good God, Moonraker is ridiculous. That threw me off because I'm watching this intro sequence and I'm seeing all these ladies and they're uh... – Petite outfits, what have you. I'm like, this is not what I remember Buck Rogers doing. Yeah, well, we always remember because um, I'm sure you experienced the same exact way I did. It was on Super 55 Fox. was, uh-huh. you know, Saturday afternoons with Voyagers. They always paired this and Voyagers together, even though Voyagers was much shorter. Um, and, and they had that <laughs> intro that would trigger your vertigo if you had issues visually because that little circle. Dun, 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 much better intro because it's you know a solid like you know a minute and you get everything you needed to tells you the whole story. I love old TV shows that would give you the narration. Is this another one done by? Um... Oh, he played Cannon. What was his name? He was a, uh, Jake the Fat Man. Say what? You know the narrator. Oh, I... Adam West. No, not Adam West. No. You know Jake the Fat Man. Uh, oh, Jake Can... the Fat Man. Oh, he was in the oh, the TV show you liked with um, Matt Houston. Give me a minute. Nero Wolf. You mean Orson Welles? No, not Orson Welles. Damn it. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I'm going to look this up right now. Uh, Canon TV show. Jake and the Fat Man. No, uh, remember he was I'm, like, I'm thinking of the He's the, oh, uh, Rob Conrad. William Conrad? William Conrad. Yeah. I'm almost certain he narrates You're this. You're talking about Gunsmoke, that guy. Oh, yeah. The, the Shadow, who used to voice, I think, the Shadow. I don't know. I get confused. Orson Welles and William Conrad in my brain are the same person. <laughs> that's when my head, I'm like, Jake and the Fat Man, what am I th- What <laughs> freaking show am I thinking about? <laughs> oh, this show actually lasted longer than I thought it did. Uh, for some reason, I thought the second season was super, super short, like six uh, episodes, but it's not. Now, for the most part, I remember season two. Now, season two is when they decided, because of a huge writing campaign, I believe it's the very first show ever uh, saved by a writing campaign by the fans. So NBC delayed it by six months, retooled it, cut the budget down significantly, and instead of having a huge cast, you know, where it's more 
intergalactic, uh, you know, they had a lot of government things and these huge teams or whatever, like, helping the bad guys and sometimes, you know, like, whatever. It, it, it was like a huge cast. And um, they decided to cut it down to, uh, Buck Rogers just basically goes on these solo adventures around the galaxy trying to build some sort of, like, intergalactic goodwill with other planets. And that's when he meets up with Hawk. Now, that's the character I remember the most from the show. I remember Hawk more than I do uh, Buck Rogers because he was so, like, in my mind, the closest thing to a comic book superhero. Right. I mean, he just looks bad. <laughs> it's just a hat. It's just a hat now. I, and at the time, I didn't realize. But he's got that huge chest. He's like, hey, look at my awesome outfit and my pectorals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these guys are – refresh my memory. Are these aliens? Yeah, they're from another planet that's kind of decimated. I believe that there was a war. But, boy, I wish I had discussed this six months ago when I watched the show. <laughs> I should have taken notes and saved them. Um, if I remember correctly, there was a thing about, you know, he goes there and it's pretty hostile. And Hawk believes that Buck Rogers is responsible for his wife's death, but then realizes who the real villain is. And they decide to team up, and then Hawk's part of the rest of the second season. Huh. Eh, I got nothing to do. I don't want to just hang out with you for a while. <laughs> Kick it around the universe. Intergalactic space hawk. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but the, the biggest thing that they did was so stupid was they fired Mel Blanc in season two to save money. And Twiggy sounds ridiculous. And I believe it was in the second episode when they realized they screwed up horribly. And they hired Mel Blanc back. And then they made up some sort of excuse like, ah, your micro voice chip thing was malfunctioning. That's it. That's right. Tell them look. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So Bob... Elia, 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 how do you say his name? He replaced him. He was the one they replaced him with. I don't even know who that is. It doesn't matter, man. He's dead to me, man. He's dead to me. Well, this time's why I brought it up is because I'm looking it up on IMDb and I'm seeing absolutely nothing on here. Okay, that's not good. <laughs> what, wait, um, here's the weirdest thing is that this always confused me as a kid because Buck had Twiggy, you know, and, and then there was that little thing around his neck, the little, like there was a, a doctor... Uh, his brain was downloaded into that little circular disc, which looked like a Simon, you know, the old game. Uh, rat, or, right. or, or he looked, actually, Twiggy kind of looked like he was space pimping, like he was uh, um, in Public Enemy. What's that guy? Flavor Flav! Bitter, 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 Flavor Flav. Yeah, the ladies love the day this day, Twiggy. <laughs> they always like, I was like, why does he need this thing? And then it's just, it's so strange that the two discombobulated voices are coming out of one robot, basically. Messed up. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta put my my hands off to like the robot himself. <laughs> so seventies, so seventies. It reminds me a lot of actually uh, like an upgrade for uh, what was the robot in um, oh, what was the robot in uh, Lost in Space? He's got those shit. <laughs> I can't remember. I always... Those air ducts, you know, like the dryer vents. Yeah, yeah, arms. yeah. <laughs> Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna look at that Lost in Space robot. Have you watched the Netflix show? I, I've heard it's pretty good. I love it. It is awesome. Literally. Oh, thank you, Google, for saying uh, robot. The robot from Lost in Space. When I type in robot from Lost in Space, you jerk. <laughs> I know there's got to be a name. All right, forget it. You'll, you guys will know. I just, I, you know, what's funny is my first experience with Lost in Space, and my only experience with Lost in Space, basically, is that movie from 1998. Mm -hmm. It, which, which came not... free. Remember when you buy a Blu-ray or a DVD player 
and you would get like, ah, oh, if you buy this copy, you'll get five free DVDs because they're pushing real hard to get you to buy one. Uh-huh. And they gave you yeah. Lost in Space for free. And I remember, I think I watched it for the first time with you, and we both looked at that digital monkey and we're like, no, 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 no. Give me something more <laughs> tangible. I don't care if it's stiff like Twiggy, you know? At least it was tangible. Yeah. I wanted to like that movie so bad. It just. There's bits and pieces that are great. I love. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going off on a tangent here. Let's stop. We'll do a we'll do a Lost in Space episode, and that's when we'll discuss the movie. That. Okay, so um, Buck Rogers, um, uh, I think this is where we all fell in love with Aaron Gray. Just absolutely. Oh. <laughs> just take a moment. No, just like even a more badass version of Princess Leia. Like we were just like mm-hmm. astounded. She was so. I mean, she lightened up as the series went on, but I remember at first she was like, "I hate Buck Rogers. He's such a tool." <laughs> <laughs> well, she all, they all do that. Eventually, they come around. Yeah, I mean, Buck was a, a kind of a Han Solo character. Everybody, everybody knows that Han Solo was the most entertaining part of Star Wars. If your favorite yeah. was Luke Skywalker, you're always like, really? Uh, I guess you're going to be a good old Boy Scout now, huh? <laughs> uh, that, those are the people that just really wanted to be him. Yeah, it's weird, yeah. yeah. I um, I think it's funny is that, you know, I, I don't know if people know her more for this or Silver Spoons. Maybe at the time they knew her more for Silver Spoons. You know, like during the 80s, but it's really hard to find episodes of Silver Spoons. Buck Rogers has been playing somewhere nonstop for 40 years. So if I remember correctly, my wife got to meet Aaron Gray. No. Yeah. Cool. I think she's got a picture around here somewhere. Anyway, tangent. Yeah. Um, yeah, so second season I think is better than the first season because it's not as disco-y and, and they cut a lot of the fat. And I think a lot of it is because also Gil Gerard was frustrated with season one as it started to dive down into silliness. I mean, there's literally an episode where Gary Coleman comes on as an old man, but on his planet, old people look like babies. So I guess they're the whole planet of Benjamin Buttons. Um, and wow. Just, yeah, and then it just it was like this weird. It's just the whole episode was kind of awkward and weird, and I just didn't care for it. So I'm glad that they they moved off that, and it must be part of it's because he pushed for more serious. So I think season two is better than season one. Well, I'm definitely going to look into that. You'll have to hook me up. Yeah. Um, so after this, of course, this is one of those shows that would live on in syndication and be a very good seller on DVD. Uh, I was just looking at, like, the cost. I was like, oh, it's been out forever on DVD. I'm sure by now everybody wanted it, bought it. You know, now they have to lower the price for the you know, people who are curious. No, it still demands a lot of money. So it must be a real strong seller. Yeah, I got a question. Yeah, what up? All right. So... The one thing I thought that came out of this that was awesome, um, my dates seem to be a little mixed up here. So, which came first, Duck Dodgers or Buck Rogers? Oh, no. Oh, no, Buck Rogers came first. Duck Dodgers is clearly a parody of Buck, of Buck Rogers. See, that's what I would thought, but I'm looking at, like, because, you know, Wiki is, you know, true, and we can believe that, but uh, the release date on it says 53. That can't be right. No, Buck Rogers is from the 30s. I had the original book, which wasn't even called Buck Rogers. The camera was called, but... Oh! Gotcha. Okay, I didn't realize that. No, no, no. Oh, my God. I was looking at the future of Buck Rogers because they've been talking about relaunching it as a, a, a theatrical film, especially when the Star Wars movie started to take off again. And it mm-hmm. said Frank Miller was slated to write and direct a motion picture. Uh, no. No. Because Frank Miller is this nihilistic, dark, bleak writer, and I don't want him anywhere near Buck Rogers. Forget that. He ruined the spirit. He's known for 300. He's known for The Dark Knight Returns. 
He uh, and uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, uh, Sin City. He doesn't belong on Buck Rogers. So he's he's good at what he does, just doesn't belong on this. Yeah, that that particular thing he doesn't belong in. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, here it is. Yeah, the like original the original that. novel was called Armageddon twenty forty twenty four nineteen A D. Twenty four nineteen. Yeah, yeah. I remember I picked up a third printing of it at Powell's Books for like six bucks. I never got around to reading it because it. Right, well, I did technically. I just couldn't get through it because like the first couple chapters, I'm like this is starchy. <laughs> okay, I'm seeing a multiple. It's like the Adventures of Buck Rogers. Uh, Buck Rogers, the Life of the Future. Uh, a Life in the Future is told by Martin Caden. Those are two different authors. Did they have multiple people writing these or? Um, maybe those back then they has they had that weird thing where they would just basically like Mickey Spillane I think only wrote some of my camera and then they would just go off and like hire other people to keep up the momentum because it sold right. so hot so they would keep the name but the writer would just be like a ghostwriter the same thing they did with um, Don Pendleton's uh, Executioner which Don Pendleton I think has been dead for thirty years and every single month they still come out with a new book of uh, the Executioner hmm maybe he's not really dead hey, oh my god. Um, Stephen King's going to be writing books for the next, you know, <laughs> Well, now his son's a writer, Joe Hill, and he's very, very good. So keep the legacy. Yeah. Um, so th- I know that they revived it in the comic books, um, which I was kind of like excited by. I want to go around and pick that up because Dynamite, Dynamite Press is a company that licensed a lot of like these movies and TV shows that we liked as a kid and, and continues the storylines, but. Um, I haven't got around to it, but I heard the Buck Rogers are really good. They're, they're uh, Green Hornet's phenomenal, and, and they do Lone, uh, Lone Ranger too. They buy properties that aren't really super expensive, which is nice, because a lot of times when you buy these huge licenses, that's all you have, and then when they take them away, your company goes out of business. <laughs> Not good. Yeah. Nope. Um, other than that, I, I don't really remember Buck Rogers ever being in cartoons, just comic books, and they're trying to get, you know, right. the, of course there's the old serials and the radio show. It is something that I really do want to see continue. I think I might have to look up. I'm gonna have this, these books to uh, my Kindle read list. Sorry, I need a drink. Okay. I was like, what? What, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> Losing my voice. Probably something to do with those paint fumes in the room. I, <laughs> I told you to take some sniffs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is what we're gonna use forever. Now that we, uh, when we can't remember stuff, we're not getting older. We've been huffing fumes. That's right. <laughs> we're just doing housework. <laughs> The, uh, after this, um, Gil Gerard would do a bunch of TV movies, which are very hard to find. But he did have a TV show in 86, which was called uh, Sidekicks. And I watched yeah. it last night. And I had reminded you of it, but I hadn't seen it since it aired, you know, 34 uh, years ago. And um, it's really, really good. It's, I mean, yes. really good. I almost cried at the end when that kid, I don't want to give away, but there's a, a moment where... Uh, Gil Gerard's character becomes responsible for Ernie Rice Jr., who had only, I think, before this had ever been in um, Red Sonia's that annoying little prince. Um, he was in Red Sonia. Yeah, he's a little oh, prince that they're protecting throughout the movie. And he would go on to be like in Surf Ninjas and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 and The Rundown and stuff like that. But he's more, I think, of a teacher now instead of uh, in front of the screen. But, I mean, for a kid who looked like he was maybe 10 at most and to be that skilled... Not only as a martial artist, but as an actor, I actually was very convinced. And uh, Gil Gerard is very affable. I, I really enjoyed that, that show. I want to watch some more episodes. It's sad that it's not on DVD. It's on these, like, worn-out VHS tapes. Yeah, that's the sad part. I wish 
I really wish. So what is has he been anything lately? That's the thing. Um. Well, I mean, after that, there's some more TV movies. He did some like it looks like Italian action movies for a little bit. Then he did Earth Force, which I didn't have you watch, and I should have. But um, at least the intro. Earth Force was right after the whole craze for uh, Earth Day in 1989. And two uh-huh. TV shows were launched out of that craze. And one was Captain Planet, which everybody remembers. But the other one was Earth Force, which started off as a two-hour pilot. It did well enough. They ordered six episodes. Great cast. I mean, just uh, – I, I was actually – my jaw was on the floor of, like, these great character actors. It's about basically this special team that is like environmental scientists and stuff like that. People know how to handle like you know toxic chemicals. They're there to keep terrorists or other natural disaster kind of stuff going on that would destroy the planet. And it was very forward thinking. The only problem is it just seems so slow, like really stiff and slow. And I mean, it was well intentioned. I just wasn't sure that the pacing was there. But of course, I watched the movie. I haven't watched any of the episodes, so I might go back. And watch some of the episodes. It looks like he's done a little bit of everything. He's been steadily busy, it looks like. Yeah, when I saw... I mean, he does, of course, all the annual road show of like comic book conventions and stuff like that to meet his fans. Right. And he's he's a huge supporter of his fans because he knows... And, like, you know, the smart he's actors... Ninja Turtles, wasn't he? What's that? He was the Ninja Turtles, wasn't he? Oh, we're talking... Yeah. Are, we talking yeah. Ernie, are we talking Ernie Rise or Gil Gerard? Did I confuse you for a second there? You did confuse me. I think I got off the tangent. Oh, sorry. Gil Gerard was in Earth Force. Ernie Rise, that was when he was just about to be in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. The last thing I remember him being in was Rundown. Um, but Gil Gerard uh, is the one who goes around to all the, the tours and stuff like that. And he, I even right. once posted a photo of Gil Gerard. And he's like, hey, can I tag myself in this? I'm like, cool. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if he's going to be listening to this or, or sharing this. So I, I, but if he does, awesome. The, awesome. Uh, when I saw that he was in The Nice Guys, have you seen The Nice Guys with um, Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling? Not yet. That movie yeah, is yet. so awesome. It's from the guy who created Lethal Weapon, and you know he did all the great dialogue for uh, Last Boy Scout. He did uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. He uh, he did Iron Man three and the New Predator. Um, it's about detectives in the seventies, and they're trying to go up against this automotive company that killed somebody to uh, hide a film. And he's the head of the automotive company. And when I saw his name in the credits, my jaw just hit the floor. And I was like, what? <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> yeah, he's only in the last 10 minutes. But he's the guy. He See, he's not in it much, but his role is so important because he's the driving point for why everything happens. Oh, gotcha. So, I, and I was really impressed by that. And so he's he, he's picked up a lot more acting lately. I know that he, like I said, he loves his fans, so he does a lot of those fan films, the ones that you like put up on YouTube to show your skills or whatever, or your love for our franchise. So he'll do stuff like that. And he still stays around like the sci-fi horror, uh, sorry, sci-fi fantasy genre. Um, right. So much love goes out to him for you know staying with his fans. Definitely. And it looks like he enjoys it too, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, there's people like that, like Walter Koenig and stuff like that, and. Uh, um, who's the guy who's in Alien Nation and Robot Jocks? Um, Garrett Graham, I think, is his name. I could have that wrong. Um, he's another one of those guys that, you know, he'll go out there and he'll take hardly any money at all and just help the fans make their their movies, give them some legitimacy. Right. It's a Ernie Reyes. He's did a, a read the, oh, live action fan film for Uncharted. Oh, the video game Uncharted? Wow. Yeah. Cause you know they're yeah, doing they're they're doing an Uncharted movie here like I think next summer. Yes, I have I've heard 
little snippets about that. Yes, I'm yeah. so looking forward to that. I'm a little confused as to why Tom Holland, who's 18, is going to be the main star when I could have swore he was like in his 30s, but whatever. <laughs> Prequel. Okay, maybe I didn't hear that part. Tom Holland. <laughs> you, you know, at some point, Uncharted has to be like, oh, hey, we, we've we've charted everything. So what's part three gonna be called? I don't know. Just call it charted. <laughs> Who charted? <laughs> Nice. Did someone chart? Yeah, I, I laughed a little hard at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know what that laugh. <laughs> All right, so Brian Cranston too. Oh, What's that? Sorry. Getting off of our our tangent, but I yes. just noticed Brian Cranston doing that as well. The uh, right. I was just thinking, I was thinking about what to do next. I kind of like the fact that we're progressing through the time period because we basically started when we were both born, basically. You know, Battlestar Galactica was. 78, which is a year after you know I was born and two years after you were born. That's like the big breakthrough in sci-fi. So I'm going to look at the progression of sci-fi shows throughout the 80s and uh, see if we can just you know break our way through the whole decade. Yes, we've already done a few. Like we did Misfits of Science and uh, Probe and um, uh, V, stuff like that. But I would like to like just like as we go, just eat through all the 80s and get into the 90s and you know and on and on and on. Sounds good to me. Yes, we're definitely doing Voyagers at some point. It might be next. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the next sci-fi, big sci-fi show was. It, we might, we, you know, what I was thinking is, what if we did like a hodgepodge episode? Because not all the shows we discuss are going to have a strong fan following. They're going to want to listen to a whole episode about it. What if we gather some of the shows that are kind of forgotten or only lasted like 13 episodes and just watch one episode of each, see what we think about it, and if we would continue to watch it or not? I like that. It also save us a lot of time that way we don't have to deep dive into TV shows because sometimes I'm like, hey, we'll just watch a few episodes and you're like, no, I'm finishing the whole thing. <laughs> Finish the game, Billy. <laughs> yeah, I have a problem with that. Yeah. Just one more. Just one more. Hit me again. Hit me. <laughs> all right, everybody. Check us out on Facebook under uh, Retro Rock Entertainment. That's where you'll find all our podcasts, including all the shows for this podcast. And all 90,000 other shows that I do because I have no life and I have no friends. There's <laughs> your life. And you have friends. Yeah, check out uh, Gil Gerard is on Facebook and he is very uh, friendly towards his fans. You know, hit like or uh, send a friend notice. And also you'll find Buck Rogers on DVD. I think it's on Blu-ray finally. Um, but Earth Force and Sidekicks are all up on YouTube if you're curious about them. And I guess that's it. Hasta la vista. Bitty, bitty, bitty. Fuck. Bitty, bitty. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many takes how many takes he screwed up. Like, he just like, Ugh, sorry, it's really got a mouth exercise. <laughs> uh, twiggy, twiggy, twiggy. Fuck. That's not the line. What? What did I just say? I don't even know what I did. What? Coffee, please. Is it twiggy, twiggy, twiggy? Bitty, bitty, bitty. See, bitty, bitty, bitty is easier to say. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All okay. right. We, we can probably stop well, now. Bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.